This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 192. I have uh, an interesting kind of progression from last week's show where I talked through some of the tips, tricks, things that I do to avoid signing a lease on a water damage place, but not only for renters, but also things that property owners and investors can actually uh, upskill their knowledge on to protect your investment. Uh, because uh, while it's one thing for a renter to be able to pick and choose where they live, uh, it's a much more flexible arrangement in that sense. Uh, if you own a property, you really want to know just how important it is to keep on top of the essential repairs that prevent water damage so that you can avoid paying upwards of $50,000 for big remediations down the track, uh, something that no one with an investment would like to do. So I hope that show was useful for all of you. And I am absolutely delighted to bring in one of my favourite bloggers and building biologists based over in Vancouver in Canada, Corinne Segura. And Corinne is highly knowledgeable, unfortunately, due to the fact that she was affected by uh, water-damaged home and also developed multiple chemical sensitivity uh, and developed debilitating chronic fatigue syndrome. And there is a very strong correlation between uh, certain uh, genotypes and uh, developing CFS due to mould and water-damaged buildings. So hopefully one day this will actually be a recognised illness that we can start to diagnose, treat and heal in every doctor's office and support way, way more people than the health systems are currently able to do, often sending people on our own dime into um, more expensive integrative practices where they've done all of that additional research to support patients. It would be a dream if it didn't have to create financial ruin from the aspect of also Uh, having to ditch all of your belongings and start afresh, uh, break leases uh, and all of the crazy costs that come with um, mould illness. So it's it's a really interesting show today where we look at uh, specifically things like Corinne's personal journey and uh, what she learnt from a failed tiny house build as well as what she then went on to study uh, and become a certified building biologist, having helped people for the last six years, specialising in really complex cases, identifying where some of the problems are occurring in a home build, um, helping people renovate better, helping people choose safer building materials. And uh, so we talk about all of that today. So you'd be hard-pressed to not get a few useful tips under your belt, uh, even if you're using an episode like today just as a general awareness building so that you avoid some of these pitfalls in the future. 
Uh, I really, really enjoyed the chat and I don't think it's the last time we're going to be talking. So uh, that will um, start in just a little minute. So I have a couple of things to talk about, of course. As always, I love, love, love our show supporters who help us put this show on for you every single week. Uh, And uh, a lot goes into putting on a podcast every single week from booking guests to researching guests to reading their books, making sure the questions are as uh, are going to get as useful amount of information into the answers as possible for you guys. Uh, so you're not left so sort of feeling scared and having absolutely no tools on how to move forward, depending on the subject we're covering. Uh, and then of course, uh, the amazing producer who then stitches it all together. Uh, my time interviewing the guests, the guests themselves, uh, all the things that we do to put on this show, are, you know, unfortunately cost cash. And um, the way that we then get supported by these beautiful brands that we're then able to support as a community to help their businesses grow really feels like a an excellent exchange. And you guys get to benefit from all of it. So this month we've had the wonderful guys from Killer Pillar, Todd and Carolina, a husband and wife team. Todd is the chiropractor. Carolina is the low-tox ninja who sourced all of the most excellent natural organic uh, materials to build the pillow with. And it is not your average pillow. So when you look at this pillow, it has a big dip in the middle. So the idea is, is that this is the best design to support your nervous system. So while it might take a few days to get used to the change in format of your pillow, Uh, a lot of people have reported significantly less trips to the chiropractor. So poor Todd, the chiropractor who's created this pillow, might be talking himself out of a job by having created such an incredible design. Um, But I love that they've brought out the tween pillow. I mentioned last week that my son has one now. And he's uh, just getting used to it. He was um, very defiant. The first day he's like, there's no way I'm going to be able to sleep on this. Second day, no problems, out like a light uh, and absolutely loving it. Uh, And so uh, I definitely urge people to check it out. I've put pictures in the show notes and you can also, of course, head to their website where you have a fantastic 15% off until the end of June. So your code is LOWTOXJUNE15. 15% off and free shipping Australia-wide. If you're an international, feel free to get in touch with the guys to talk about how you might like to get uh, your hands on this pillow, and I'm sure they will be more than happy to support you. The way you spell their website is killerpillar.com.au. That's K-I-L-L-A. P-I-L-L-A.com.au and you can join them on Facebook or Instagram as well where they share lots of tips uh, on posture, energy levels, immune function, etc. as well as talking about their pillows. So it's a wonderful resource. Um, but I, I think it, it can't be underestimated the power of a decent pillow and uh, mine is tragically stuck in storage while we're in our Airbnb looking for a place uh, and um 
And I really noticed the difference. I noticed I've had a few back pinches, neck pinches that I wasn't having on my killer pillar. And I noticed a a really great benefit. So I'm a big fan of uh, the product. And if you have any kind of issues that might be brought on by poor sleep quality, everything from foggy brain, bad posture, waking up in the night, uh, mouth breathing and all of the things that uh, um, that tends to contribute to uh, sleep apnea, allergies, night terrors, uh, neck pain, back tension, restless legs, you name it. All of these things can be improved with a better night's sleep. So if you're not happy with your sleep, one of the top things that you can uh, look into is the pillow you're sleeping on and try a couple of different designs. And boy, is this one different. So you have this beautiful cushioning all around. You get these extra inserts if you need added support. So you can really tailor it to being something perfect for you. And then while you have the back, the, the head in, if you're sleeping on your back in the position of kind of being a fair bit further back, but completely supported in the neck area um, by the inserts that you can tailor to yourself. You can then roll onto your side if you do a little bit of side sleeping and back sleeping combo like I do. And on the side, it does feel like a regular pillow where you have all of that wonderful stuffing. So it's sort of tailored to however you prefer to sleep really and uh, supports you either way. So that's 15% off low tox uh, June 15 is your code and head to the killerpillar.com.au website. I uh, can't wait to hear what you think. So um, the last thing I wanted to mention is that, of course, uh, we have been welcoming more and more new members into the Low Tox Club. This last month, we've had a fantastic theme where we've been looking at where our things come from and really deep diving into ethics, materials, and when it comes to things like appliances, having a look at their recycling and repair programs to get the most life out of your appliance. And uh, all clubbers were deep diving into various things. I shared some of the research questions I was asking because I'm in the market for a new black uh, tote bag and I'm fortunately being a leather good Uh, that's not something as a mould sensitive person I'm prepared to purchase secondhand, not knowing where it has been, what kind of home it's lived in, uh, which is one of the downsides of um, having to be mould aware. But uh, I'm I'm getting closer on my search. And so the Lotox boost this month, we always have a monthly boost. I hate to call things a challenge because... I find that to be a bit of a triggering word when everyone's trying to be challenged by things constantly, especially in 2020. Um, And so uh, the three-day boost was people sharing their research and how they find what they're emails are returning in responses from various companies. Um, And it's really been fascinating to see, for me, how few people who own a leather business know where their leather comes from, Um, how those animals are looked after, how the people who uh, prepare the leather are cared for in their jobs and factories. Um, it's, uh, I'm still searching. <laughs> I still don't have the answers I want. And while something might be locally made, um, uh, it might not be ethically made or fair trade practices might not be employed. Um, 
So, or the the dyes that they use might not be uh, very good. So it's uh, definitely been an eye opener on the bag front. Um, And just in case you're curious as to why I'm not choosing a synthetic bag, I haven't found one that doesn't contain endocrine disruptive uh, plastics in it uh, yet. So that's why that's currently out of the market. There are some really interesting things being done with plant leathers that I'm exploring as well. So I'll keep you posted on the bag that I choose. Uh, But for now, I am still very much searching. Uh, So that's one of the things we do in the club and uh, it's been a really great month of people sharing different uh, ideas, questions, successes they're having um, by asking different brands more pointy questions about um, how things are made. And we're just about to move into our July month, which is all about clean air. So all the students, well, not students, it's not a course, it's um, a club, a lifestyle club, really, a digital lifestyle club, let's call it that. And uh, everyone's going to be able to download their clean air uh, ebook and their Miracle Morning uh, ebook and um, the details of the boost we're going to be doing next month. So this month we're very much looking at how we can produce or support cleaner air environments in our homes. Uh, everything from tips and tricks in terms of air circulation and dust allergens, pollens we're going to look at, and we're also looking at mould and water damage and what we can do in that area, everything from cleaning to remediation. So if it sounds like you might like to join the club and join Like Minds who like exploring different topics each month, as well as just the general chat that happens in our private Facebook group, the Friday practitioner resource that we have where you can ask Steph, our in-house naturopath, any question that you have around your health and ideas that you're sort of toying with exploring in your health and you might just like a bit of practitioner support to point you in the right direction and move you along your way effectively, uh, then that's a really great resource in the group as well. And you get 50% off all of our Low Tox Life e-courses. I've seen a couple of the clubbers this week make the most of that by uh, jumping in on the uh, easygoing, gluten-free, easygoing, dairy-free mini courses that we have. And a couple of clubbers have started the Inflammation Ninja course. And so instead of costing 98 bucks, it's $49 for clubbers. So it's a significant saving. In fact, saving $49 on that course buys you the year of club membership. So it's a bit of a no-brainer that I've created to help bring everybody together in the low-tox community, uh, people who really want to bring their low-tox life to life. It's lovely to talk about uh, or listen to rather a, a podcast and try and work on things yourself. But when you come together with people who are committed to learning and researching uh, and doing their best for their health, their family and the planet, uh, it is a really beautiful place to be. So I encourage you to join us. I've popped the details in the show notes. Otherwise, you can actually just head to the Lotox Life pod, uh, uh, website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and join the Lotox Club is the very first option under that explore tab. So that makes it super easy and it's 49 Australian with one simple annual payment. So uh, no monthly deductions or monthly um, card charge fees that credit card companies like to do. We've gotten rid of Patreon for that reason. We weren't enjoying the fact that there were all those additional charges from your billers. And um, also for the uh, overseas listeners, 
it means we can create an international community, which I love. Um, I love getting to know our overseas members as well. And uh, for you guys in the US, it's like $29 or $30 US a year. For people paying in euros, that's only 27-ish euros. So it's great value, a ton of uh, uplifting uh, and empowering support. And, uh, and of course, as the group gets bigger, it's been beautiful to see the support that everyone gives each other. This is not about me being your guru. This is about all of us creating a beautiful, inspiring space to be and support each other online to do all things low talk. So come join us. Um, and I guess that's all I had to talk about with you guys today. Uh, and so I'm going to start this incredible interview with the lovely Corinne Segura. I hope you learn lots and I hope you connect with her wonderful business, which is, uh, it's called My Chemical Free Home. Uh, you, you join her Facebook page. She does incredibly deep and thorough exposés uh, often in there and talks you through things through videos and really just helps you get to know what the recipe for a healthy home is. Uh, I really value the extent of the research she undertakes for her clients and shares in her Facebook, um, on her Facebook page. And I know you guys will too. So enjoy the show and I look forward to hearing how you went. Hello, Corinne. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm super well, thank you. I am very excited to speak to one of my favorite nerds on the internet when it comes to protecting people's health through the homes they're living in. I've followed your work for ages and I honestly cannot think of another human that goes into more detail than you do. So thank you for the incredible work you do. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I have a lot of technical things I want to ask you today about ways that people can improve their homes uh, or know when they might need to leave that home and all that kind of stuff. But I would like to start by helping people get to know where your motivation came from. And unfortunately, it came from you becoming very unwell. Um, and I'd like to ask, I guess, when did you get sick uh, and uh, what did you notice up to the point where you were able to get some kind of diagnosis? Because you know, what has happened to you is similar, similar to what has happened to me and so many others in that um, doctors often don't know or uh, sometimes refuse to experiment in some of the newer stuff coming up. So how did it look for you? When I first got sick, I was 15 and now I'm just about 38. So we had a lot less awareness around environmental environmental disease or environmental illness, any of these illnesses that have an environmental toxicity component. Um, and even today, you could still go to your doctor and, and not get diagnosed and not get the help that you need. But we do have all these resources on the internet. And so we can be way more empowered now. Like I didn't have that option. Of course, the internet did exist, but it wasn't what a resource for, for health issues that it is now. So I think now we have that opportunity to be really empowered. There's so much out there, even books, if you don't like to be online, um, about environmental illness and toxicity, and you can start to get to the bottom of, of what it might be for you. So for me, it was a sudden onset chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, I just, of course, had no idea about the environmental component at first that became clear way later when I hit 
very obvious mold. But the less obvious mold that many people do live in, of course, um, may not may not be um, may not be on the radar because it's hidden. It's it's it, it's quote unquote minor, maybe behind you know behind the walls you don't see it. Um, and it's only looking back that I can so clearly see I had a full remission in a very simple little wooden hut in Costa Rica, for example, when I was 20 years, around 20 years old. And now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I had a full remission, but there wasn't really anything out. Nobody in my life mentioned, do you think it's because, you know, you were in a little hut and you got out of, you know, your, I was in, living in Vancouver, you got out of the city, you got out of that hot, older building you were living in, not that necessarily old is bad, but it's more likely to be moldy. Um, so it, yeah, it, it, it came together very late. Mm. And it's so funny that you say, um, wouldn't it have been great if someone had gone, do you think it could be something to do with, cause I remember one of my first retrospective, uh, regrets is the wrong word, but you know, retrospect can be so annoying in something like this. Cause you look back and it, it it's all just so much clearer. And I had a leaky tear duct. And we, I had had like resistant weight loss for a while, creeping up with brain fog, but nothing too major outside of that stuff that you could always put down to busy mom, busy mom slash business owner, uh, you know, uh, that kind of stuff, being a woman, hormonal, adrenal, yada, yada. Um, But this leaky tear duct started and we were going to uh, Mauritius, my families from Mauritius, my cousin's wedding. And so I had had it for about a month and it was like, I'm, you know, as a public speaker, wiping your eye every three seconds, it's not a great look. And it was really bugging me, but no one could figure out what was going on. Um, from a GP to an ophthalmologist, they tried to inject down and it was just fully blocked. So it was looking like I was going to have to go and see an um, uh, ocular plastic surgeon and uh, and decide whether I was going to get operated. But I had this wedding, so I went and the leaky tear duct stopped when I was in Mauritius. And I came back and I was like, oh, thank God that's over. But a week into being home, it started again. And uh, And I said to the surgeon, like, do you think you know, I was in Mauritius and then it stopped and then I came back and then it started. Like, do you think it could be anything? Cause it was just blocked. It wasn't obstructed. It was closed up. And of course, tear ducts are so tiny. So all it would take is a good bit of inflammation and potentially that area could close up. And, uh, and he put chalked it down to salt water and a lot of sunshine and yada, yada. And it just kind of, you know, it made sense at the time. I was like, yeah, I guess. So I had that surgery, but then of course um, had an inflammatory cascade throughout the rest of the year. Um, and, uh, and yeah, this, I mean, you know, it was the home. The minute I left that home, my inflammation reduced by at least half without having to do anything else. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really good place for many people to start and think like when you went camping that time or when you went when you traveled and um of course you can travel and and you know find a very moldy uh, Airbnb or or hotel but often it is a time when people leave their house and they notice something and I think it's important to notice also that if people just say well a lot of people just say all oh, is less stressed well first you could try two experiments you could 
relax at your house. You could do meditation at your house and that may or may not have the same effect. And also traveling can be really stressful. Not everybody's traveling because they're just going to sit on the beach. Many people are traveling for work and um, or if you have kids, sometimes it's, there's a lot happening. Um, so I don't, I don't, you know, I think you have to just maybe try thinking about it uh, from an environmental perspective and maybe it wasn't just, um, less stress. Mm. And so what did you do when you started to realize it was something about where you lived? Well, unfortunately, it was was very obvious when it hit me really hard. Um, There was a leak in the roof and it took me down really hard. Um, I did move, um, but I think I was there for six months and that was enough time because I had already had chronic fatigue syndrome for a while. So I didn't just come into this healthy and and make a quick turnaround. Um, It really did a lot of damage. Um, And so I think, oh God, there's so many takeaways from that but um yeah unfortunately i had to get knocked over the head with the most obvious you know reason for for my downturn there mm, such a shame um and uh i guess the only benefit is that you're now able to help so many people that's like you've got to take comfort in it somehow because i think that's part of the healing process in itself mentally too um and so obviously uh you must have done a lot of soul searching and thinking about how you wanted things to play out because I I want to try and piece together what made building a non-toxic tiny house the next logical step for you. Like what were some of the things that led up to that decision? I think for many people when they become extremely chemically sensitive and mold sensitive, you may not be able to find a healthy building. That doesn't mean that there are no healthy buildings, of course, but when you go into extreme overdrive, just the chemical cleaning products that someone has used before you, maybe they had a cat, you're just in extreme overdrive from from a really big exposure at times. And and maybe your your budget doesn't allow you to, to look at every option and have your pick of the litter of all the choices of housing out there. So there weren't that many options. I thought I would build something. Um, I didn't have the education at the time, so I had to do the research on materials. And um, it was partially a good idea. (laughs) We'll talk more about it. It was, um, it I did need to get out of regular housing at that point um, in order to get a really really strong baseline. So if you have the opportunity to build something, even if it's small, it's that can just give you that baseline that you may not be able to find in, in regular housing and what's out there in your market and what you can afford. And this is why so many people go camping. They head to the desert, the bush, and, um, and just start, uh, start there because it is such a, a, a financial implication um, the idea that you can't live in so many houses. I I struggle with it myself. You know, last week's show was literally all about spotting all of the water damage. I have been taking so many charcoal capsules since we started looking at places just to protect myself. Um, And uh, yeah, it's, it's really quite incredible. And the thing that the injustice that really gets me, um, which is what I'm trying to work through right now and think about how 
communities the size of ours can actually um, organize and become a part of a much bigger solution, which is actually to have laws around property maintenance, uh, property like installations, building codes that are much, much stricter. Um, simple laws like if you have air conditioning, it has to be serviced by an accredited service who understands the removal of mould every six months. Otherwise, if you can't afford to have that service, you shouldn't have air conditioning <laughs> because it's going to ruin the home, ruin the carpet if you have carpet and things like that. Um, so it, it's um, it, that's kind of what I'm feeling like the next step is for communities like ours to start whinging upwards proactively and creating ways to, um, to, to change things because this, we can't go on like this, right? We cannot go on with people losing their entire savings <laughs> and being turfed out into a tent because people don't understand what mold can do to your health. Yeah. Having better housing options to choose from is definitely the solution and having better housing options from the start. So we don't have as many people getting sick, but even if there is a bad house, you have other options that, you know, that, you know, you said in your, in your last um, podcast, 20 out of 25 were bad. What if 20 out of 25 were good, you know, then, okay, now we have places for people to go and heal or that's absolutely has to be the solution. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, first things first, we need to recognize these illnesses in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's quite a lot of work to do, Corinne. <laughs> We've established no, I'm, that. I'm working very hard. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, so what, um, what were some of the snags that you hit in the road, challenges that you had? What you've decided to build the tiny house, was it easy to find a little plot of land to do this? Uh, was that something you already had? Um, because I know people are going to have questions out there and I'd love to dig into some of the details. And that that's where lack of building codes can be to your benefit because you can uh, put a, a little house like this. It was easy to find a place to rent. I found a place to rent on Vancouver Island, Canada. Um, no problem, very inexpensive to rent a little piece of land. So that was lucky. Um, you know, the, my main focus at that time was choosing the best materials that, you know, when in, ex, in an extremely reactive state, and that's why I help people with severe MCS chemical sensitivity, because I've been through that severe stage and I know what it's like, and I still have chemical sensitivity. So I can still order samples of materials and understand why people are saying this one has an off-gassing odor. Um, so my main focus was on choosing the best materials. And what I didn't realize, because I was a person that had never built a house before, I didn't have the right guidance, I didn't have any education on the topic, was that to build a mold preventative house is takes a lot of concerted effort. It's not just it's not just going to come together on its own. What were some of the things that you started to realize? Well, at that point, I didn't know um, what I didn't know. And, um, and it, it's so funny because now it seems so obvious. And even when I'm talking to other people, uh, clients or, or other people that I know who want to build a safe house, you're not going to get a different result if you don't do anything different than the norm. Now, that sounds like a really silly thing to say because it's so simple. And yet, 
people, some people, many people are, you know, expecting that they are going to get a really well-built house. Um, and of course we all want that, but you do have to do something outside of the norm to get that. You do have to go further. Yeah. New um, isn't enough, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you may get a couple of years out of, out of, out of something, but, um, you want it to last if you're, if you're putting <laughs> Especially money. when you're investing that kind of money. Yeah. If you're mm. putting money towards building, there's only one way to go in my opinion, and it's to build it really well. Mm. You know, dur- durable to a mold. So otherwise, yeah, we're not talking about a two-year iPhone here. Mm-hmm. So it's it's funny. We're still we're still needing to get to get this um, message out, maybe in a way. And I know that it's so hard because, um, you know, we've most of us, if we have health issues, maybe many people listening have um, some health concerns. You've probably done a lot of research of your own. You know, you've, you're probably listening to the the health podcasts and reading articles and then you're like now do I also have to learn how to build a house on top of this <laughs> like it's a lot of work yeah I totally get it but there's only two ways to go you can hire it out or you can learn it yourself or you could do a combo obviously but you've got to do one or the other or you're going to get more of the same mm. and so uh, I'll come back to that question then you, you get started, you start researching building materials. What were some of the good ones you found? And you were like, ah, this is actually, that works. And some of the ones where you started to realize that oh, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, so this was eight years ago. There was, a, there wasn't, there was almost nothing on the internet. I don't want to dismiss. There were a couple websites, but the main book was by Paula Baker Lepore. Um, that was the main resource at the time. And it was a great, right now it's a little bit out of date. So materials change quickly, but there will be an updated, if you're listening to this in the future, she's going to update that book. But um, that was the only re- resource. And I, being in Canada, didn't have full access to um, the large market of, well, you know, of course you can import things, but I didn't have easy access to the large market of the U.S. Um, so there was a lot of, how do we find this? How do we get this? Um, I was, and has this been done before? Is this a risk? Um, it was a risk at that time to use hemp oil as a floor finish because I couldn't find anyone else literally that had done it. Ah, Um, gotcha. So there was an element of, um, of having to test the hypothesis and, and kind of not really being a very happy test subject with your background, right? Yeah, I mean, most of it worked. Um, MGO board was very popular at the time. Is that very popular in Australia as well? What does it stand for? What does that mean? Mag- magnesium oxide board. It's a type Ooh, of I'm wall not board. Sure. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Probably not then. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so I'm good. not a builder. Um, yeah. but, but, so maybe it is. I'm <laughs> sure someone in the audience is going to say, ah, yeah, we use it for everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it, it became very, it was very trendy and you have to be very careful with trendy products um, because we don't know how they're going to go. And unless there's really a reason, a good reason, and there can be, to not use the standard, which in that case would have been tongue and groove wood in a, because it was a house on wheels, it, it wouldn't, you, you wouldn't use dry, regular drywall necessarily. So the, you know, the standard tongue and groove wood, unless you have a good reason to not, uh, to not use that, you should be careful with being the experiment, um, being the person who is, has the experiment house. Mm. And was there anything that, um, 
like, did you call on a builder to actually build it for you or were you out there making it yourself? Yeah, I, I asked a family friend who had built a cottage, as we call our vacation homes here. Um, and I thought that's, that's probably the way to go. I just ask someone I trust for a builder. They tell me the builder and um, yeah, he, he made, you know, a million mistakes that led to the house failing by failing. I mean, going moldy. Um, he was very, very nice. Yeah. The house was a, yeah, the house was, you know, the failure of the house was when I, when I decided to go into this as a, as a profession, because that was, that just, that taught me, obviously it taught me so much. I, t- I took the house apart and was like, wow, okay, we've got to do better than this. Yeah. <laughs> but, and so was it an air circulation issue or where do you think it failed? There were, um, it started from day one. There were plumbing errors They're building up on top of a trailer base is tricky because it's a metal base. And in my climate where you're usually heating, um, that's a tricky area for condensation. There was condensation above the shower. He hadn't put in the proper type of um, ceiling barriers above the shower that went moldy. Wheel wells. And so a lot of these are particular to trailers, but you, you, there's a lot of mistakes you could make in a regular build. Flashing around the windows wasn't done perfectly. That probably would have taken a number of years to really show up as, as a problem. You know, and often uh, that can you know, for a tiny house on wheels, that's usually a one-year warranty. For houses, it's usually longer. But still, these these things can show up after the warranty very easily. They're mm. they're slow. They're, they a one-year warranty. I mean, that is ridiculous <laughs> yeah. when we're talking yeah. about someone's home. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, yeah. You can throw anything together almost, and and there was still a lot he had to fix in the first year, but then it, it didn't get better. And I made a huge effort um, to take it apart, which in retrospect wasn't worth the money, but in retrospect retrospect was worth the education that it mm. gave me. Absolutely. Was that when you decided to study formally? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the house was falling apart at the same time that I was. <laughs> <laughs> it was very much a question of, okay, so I'm actually going to need to learn everything uh, and learn it properly if I want to get better and um, and then w- when did you think I might like to help other people with this? It was right. It was really early on with the blog that people st- started asking for help. And, you know, mostly I focused on material choices because that's where I had more expertise. And as time has gone by, I've integrated more and more building science um, into that, mainly because even in choosing a material, let's say you have a concrete floor because it's a slab or a basement. Um, what kind of flooring can you put on there that isn't going to cause trapped moisture, right? So somebody's asking me about flooring. They want to know about off-gassing, safety, leaching of, of phthalates and plasticizers. They want to know about say, that kind of safety. But I also can no longer feel good about not incorporating, okay, but is that floor also going to trap, trap moisture or be a problem in, you know, in another mm. way for mold? So that's been extremely important to me. Yeah. Well, it's not just about endocrine disruptors in finishes, is it? It's, I mean, if we don't get the mold piece right and the air circulation piece right, then we could cause people to get very unwell no matter what. <laughs> you can have a totally endocrine disruptor free home uh, that's uh, still killing you because mycotoxins are also endocrine disruptive. Um, so 
How then, let's just uh, give people an idea because I know people change their flooring. A lot of people who go low tox tend to think, okay, I want to get rid of that old carpet. That's carpet hides a million sins. I want to put uh, flooring down, but then I also don't want to trap moisture in my flooring. How do we uh, manage a project like that? What kind of considerations should we make? So if you're on a concrete slab, which is common, or if you don't have a concrete slab, you probably have a concrete basement. You would probably have one or the other unless you have a house that's built up on stilts, um, which is, it's possible, but less likely. So um, there are different opinions and I've studied um, with different building science experts, but I, I do agree with the architect Cheryl Seco, who has a really great course that I took. Um, in that the slab should be breathable to the inside. And be, the reason is that every, every building science expert, you know, that I've studied under will agree on this part. The slab is almost always trying to dry to the inside. It doesn't matter if you're in Australia and you've got a, your AC blasting, or if you're in Canada and you've got your heat blasting, um, you know, very different conditions, but the slabs almost always with a very few exceptions, trying to dry in um, due to the laws of physics. So in that scenario, and for those of us who are really sensitive to mold, for me, I don't want moisture blocked there. And this is from my experience traveling around the world. Um, recently, I went to Cuba, Florida, Spain, including Canary Islands. And the slabs were very moldy. And, and people... I think the general population will say, well, how can there be mold in concrete? There's not, it's not really anywhere for it to go. There's not really anything for it to eat. Well, it's, there's dirt under the concrete to start. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's festering, not just mold, but bacteria. Um, and that's coming up. It's um, coming up through the pores. And, um, and mold can grow in the pores. It's a, small, it's a smaller amount of mold. It's not a huge hidden wall of mold, but there's, there's mold that's in the pores of the concrete. And even, you'll, you can even pull up sometimes a vinyl floor over concrete, whether it's a vinyl click or, or, or a vinyl sheet, and you'll see mold. And what's it growing on, right? There's not much, but it's, it finds a way. It finds a way. <laughs> so, so the answer is... Um, I agree with Cheryl Seco in having a breathable floor over concrete, which means tile or polished concrete in general. Polished concrete. Yeah. That's what we've got in Mauritius. Everything is polished concrete. Um, and uh, because it's so humid there as well, like you just wouldn't want to be covering over it with more stuff. Mm. Yeah. I mean, most, m many, uh, many hot and humid countries only use tile. It's, it's not in style in, in countries where with colder weather. So it's, it's more of a challenge because people go, well, we can't use tile over the slab. It's not, it's not right. Like it's mm -hmm. not going to look right, but. And um, what is, um, you know, when people get heated flooring under the tiles, is that a bad thing? No, I don't think so. It's either electric or it's water. Um, and if it's water, you have to be really cautious and careful and supervise the installation, make sure that nobody's going to um, then, uh, you know, install a wall and, and nail through the, the tubing or something. Mm. But, um, and if it's electric, you know, you have to see if you have EMF concerns. But in general, I'd say it's a nice idea because it 
makes it more appealing to have tile. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so there's no issue then with um, heat under a, a tile that's on top of concrete in terms of trapping moisture? Nope. Great. That's good. <laughs> I feel like people who are thinking of redoing their flooring out there are like, okay, cool. I know something that I can actually work with here. That's good. Um, what about if people um, have like, you know, on the second story of a house um, and you um, like, would that be concrete as well between two floors? generally? Not usually. Um, that would be um, in some developing countries, you'll see full concrete houses or in some concrete high rises, you'll have concrete. So if you live in a high rise apartment building, like I do, there is concrete under my um, flooring. But if it's a wood built house, um, you'll usually have concrete as the slab or basement and then wood, a wood subfloor, usually plywood, maybe OSB. And, and in that case, you have a much easier situation you can put almost and well it may not hold the load of tile up there actually if it's a wood subfloor um so there you may want to go with solid wood or or many other options mm -hmm. and then something like people do a lot to insulate upper levels so that you don't get so much noise between um levels in houses or in apartment buildings um, if you're lucky <laughs> in an apartment building, um, how how do we make sure that we're not trapping moisture when we're setting that kind of soundproofing up? Yeah, so if you don't have a temperature difference between the floors, you're probably not going to trap moisture, although maybe there are conditions when, where you would, you know, blast the AC on one level and not really worry about the other, you know, not blast it on the other, and maybe you could have a temperature difference, but usually you don't. So you wouldn't really have to worry, but also there isn't really a need for any kind of vapor barrier there. Um, usually it would be um, an unusual situation. So here we often use um, mineral wool. The brand here is rock wool. Um, that's a good insulator, sound insulator that you can put um, between uh, the joists, like into the ceiling. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so obviously this house failed. You started studying. What did you then, where did you live? How did you find a safe place for yourself? So that was a really difficult time when the tiny house failed. It, it did hit my health again, even though the mold was really, I would, you know, objectively minor. It, for me, my body had already gone through so much. That was a big hit for me. And it was a really hard time. And I did the same thing that many people do when they're right out of, right out of, first out of a moldy house is that you try Airbnbs and rentals. And if you're just sort of picking them randomly, depending on where you live, however, I haven't found a place in the world where, where buildings are, are built really well <laughs> yet. So um, in general, buildings um, have issues. So I hit, you know, I, I wouldn't even say I had bad luck. I would say I had normal luck in that I hit a number of rentals that didn't work. And then I thought, okay, this isn't, this isn't working. Um, I had to go more extreme with my mold avoidance. And, and that is why I did this little tour of the world um, so that I could sleep in, so I could camp for, it was at least a year of camping. And that's why I went to Cuba 
um, I have family and my family's from Spain. So I went to places that were, um, you know, easy and safe and warm for camping and somewhat out of necessity, but also it was a healing strategy for me. I got a mm. lot better, Amazing. a lot better by camping. Yeah. My, my MCS came way, way, way down. And as soon as my MCS, multiple chemical sensitivities came down, a world of housing opportunities opened up mm. as long as it was super low mold, mm. of course. Yeah, absolutely. So it's almost like you've just got to empty that inflammation bucket massively to be able to tolerate the odd dip in um, and, uh, and like to be able to go into a shop with a dirty air con and not fall apart. Yeah. So I believe in the sort of, you know, we call it the master toxin theory. So it's not the bucket theory where every little thing is sort of just adds up. And because in that theory, every little thing is sort of seen as equal. Whereas I believe in, you know, mold, um, heavy metals are really big. Those are way bigger. So if you could take out mold and heavy metals, you probably would not have too much of a problem. Not saying that it would be a great idea to expose yourself to formaldehyde, but you probably wouldn't have very much problem with a little bit of formaldehyde, small amount, low amount that's not supposed to cause health effects. So, mm, or the air freshener in the taxi, or things like that. Yeah, 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 you wouldn't you wouldn't use that purposely in your house, but you wouldn't um, you have that. It's it's not an equal toxin to for me in my uh, in my opinion to mold. I would agree. Heavy yeah. metals. Mm. There's also pesticides, you know, and flame retardants can be fairly big ones as well, but I like to kind of focus on mold and I'm not an expert in heavy metals. That's just, you know, my experience with, with healing and watching other people heal. Mm. We had a great show with uh, Dr. Leila Masson about a month ago on heavy metal toxicity. So anyone who's listening and going, Oh my gosh, heavy metals. I don't even know if I'm go listen to my chat with Leila a few shows ago. It was uh, very, very good. Mm. I won't yeah. be giving medical advice, but super important. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. so you're better and you experiment, you find somewhere to live. So when did you come home? Yeah, it was about a, you know, it was about a year of traveling and um, trying to not make it too long of a story. But I did, it did allow me to get into these newer high rise apartments um still in the Vancouver area and we're very lucky here we have fairly low summer humidity and winter humidity isn't an issue because um if you have cold weather and humidity as soon as you heat that air it's no longer humid yeah it dries so, it out mm-hmm. so we don't in general even though people think you know not people think it is a rainforest technically here mm. but because we don't have summer because we don't have warm humidity or you know hot humidity um this is a good climate we don't use ac usually so mm. we don't even have the problem of cleaning out your ac yeah. that, that simplifies things for me a lot yeah absolutely and we don't have the, the high humidity in the buildings and we have some really well-built um concrete high-rises that i've done really well in fantastic that's so great when you when you start to find what's actually going to work um, out of the places we've visited, um, the modern townhouse seems to be the the best one. And while normally I would want to try and get off the ground, um, that's usually my preference. Um, 
there just seems to be a real dip in quality of um, of developments of apartment buildings here. And then the ones that are 10, 20, 30 years old, uh, just, you know, I can just feel it. I can't breathe. I can't take a deep breath when I get in there. And I look and it's ducted air conditioning and I'm like, well, who's got a dollar for guessing how long ago that might have been serviced? And you just know. Um, so it feels like the, the townhouses are looking to be the best quality, the best built, um, in all the different configurations. And I think that's because they market them to property owners and investors, uh, in a different income bracket. And so the quality really does have to be much better. And, um, and, uh, yeah, as soon as I find one with a good floor plan, <laughs> I'm in <Yeah>. there. <laughs> Everywhere in the world that you go, you should start by doing this reconnaissance. Mm. What are the different types of buildings, styles, and how well are they built there? Because there'll be different building standards, there'll be different building materials. And that my little tour of the world, which was to save my life, was very educational. It would have <laughs> because- been. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I learned about the concrete buildings in Cuba and they're, they have a similar style in Spain, but their different building uh, standards and styles changed the kinds of buildings that I would look at. And you have to narrow in on the best type or age or style in your area, because otherwise you're really going to be wasting your time with how many buildings you're going to have to look at. You've really got to narrow in on, on, and even the AC type, um, the you you may even want to look at you know get so specific that you're looking at a certain um developer or builder and yeah there are some that are renowned in our toxic mold support group a a group i wish i didn't have to be a member of but alas i do uh it's a very useful group and um uh, and yeah, you, you get the rundown on different developers and the ones that tend to be, uh, better than others for sure. Very, very useful information when you're trying to avoid mold. Mm. Um, and so obviously you've gone on to do incredible work to support your clients in building better, renovating better, spotting, uh, water damage better. I, I've seen you, um, one of your videos like talks about uh, the um, like looking at the gutters, inspecting where different parts of the roof meets the um, the flat part of the building, and how is that sealed? And uh, you've definitely helped me become a an investigative ninja on my search uh, and take it up a notch. Um, so I would love for you to share some some really basic advice for people who are considering like say a knockdown rebuild situation or they've bought land and they're building from scratch or they're renovating. What can some of the things people do that are going to help them have a preventative strategy around mold? So let's talk Mm -hmm. preventative and then let's talk fixing it later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, you may not have time to, you know, read all the articles, do all the courses, but I do think you should get a little bit of um, foundational knowledge. I do really recommend the course Building a Safe Home by Cheryl Seco because, you know, I took it myself. I found it really useful and um, and I already knew, you know, a fair amount on this topic, but it was is laid out simple enough for home owners, you know, people who are building their own homes, not contractors necessarily. Um, um, so start, start with a little, you know, uh, 
enough about, you know, to have that basis. And then you've really got to choose a good team. So I would say I wouldn't build without an architect, although there are some designers that may be passive house consultants or maybe other, other types of home the person that does the design but it, if you can i would go with an architect you can you can have it reviewed by by another person too the building the system like is it is this the second system? opinion factor mm-hmm. yeah and then um so i work as a building biologist and although my main job is material specification i also help people through this process. So if someone's just like, oh my gosh, where do I start? Like, how do I choose an architect? How do I choose a builder? Um, should I choose my, t- my materials first? And my answer is yes. If you're in the extreme sensitive category, definitely yes. If you're not that extreme, if you're just wanting to, you know, prevent health issues and you're going for lower VOC and, and, and less toxic, um, but still within kind of the standard um, range of materials. That's okay. You, you don't have to do that right at the beginning. But if you're extreme, you need to have that sorted out because you're not going to be able to find a good builder um, if you go to them with with this mish, mismatch of of extreme ideas. Um, I can't, you know, I can't use uh, I can't use wallboard and I can't use um, Norma glues. They're going to be like, I don't even know where to start with this person. So <laughs> come to them very organized. If you're extreme as in so you're then able to say and here's what i want you to use instead are you familiar with that material yeah Uh, would you accept a job working with that material that kind of thing so you you can fail fast if they're not going to be the one for you yeah and if we've worked together you know if i've been um helping with the project then i'm not going to bring a list of materials that i know is going to be something that a good builder is going to be like no we can't do that Yeah. So we're going to we're going to go back and forth a number of times to make sure that it fits your needs, and it's going to fit the needs of of a builder. Um, so that depends on how sensitive you are. But even if you want to go really extreme with mold avoidance, maybe you want to do something really unusual, like um, do an unusual AC system for your area, uh, depending on you know where you live, or it may, you know there are things that people want to do that are fairly that could be get unusual. In that case, you would definitely. Um, start with uh with an architect who's very mold aware mm-hmm. and start looking at your design before bringing that to and, and an architect can usually help you find a good builder so everything sort of starts to weave together yeah um, and, and do you something. feel like more and more architects are in the know about mold prevention no not necessarily um so it's still just pockets of people <laughs> in the know yeah it's kind of like doctors, you know, they're not yeah, all going to be gotcha. good. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, with more, more people having websites and YouTube channels, there's more of an opportunity to look and see what have, what articles have they written? What kind of, you know, there's builders that are, um, you know, on the Matt Reisinger YouTube channel. I'm not associated with him. I just like his channel. He showcases really good builders in the U.S. And you can see it. You can look, even if they're talking something different than what, what you're looking at, you can see an example of some of their builds in progress. So there are now more ways to, to find some of these really good builders. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Great. Um, and I agree. I think, you know, now that we have so much access to YouTube and blogs and uh, all sorts of different um, things like podcasts, Instagram, even, you know, some mm-hmm. incredible people yes. teaching people stuff there. Um, it yes. means you can audition a bit more and see who's yes. out there with some search engine handy work, um, which is mm-hmm. good. Very good. Um, and so uh you mentioned unusual AC, unusual air conditioning. What do you mean by that? Well, in most of the U.S., it would be unusual not to do ducted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be unusual to do all mini splits. Um, yeah. It would be even more unusual to do, you could actually, the way that you do the radiant heat, you could actually do radiant cooling. Okay. That's quite unusual. So there's a number of things that if you really don't want anything uh, you know, and many, I do like mini splits because you can open them up, you can clean them, you can see, every, you can basically see everything in the internal compartment of it. A hundred percent. That's the only type yeah. I feel comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. But there are people that want to um, go even further with that and do, um, you know, radiant, radiant cooling or something like that. Mm-hmm. And what, do, what is radiant cooling? What does that look like at coming out of a wall? Is it like a little vent or? Yeah. So no, it's i I'm not an HVAC expert, but it, it's like the, um, the tubes that are under the slab that are usually yes. bringing warm water. Gotcha. They're bringing, yeah. they're bringing cool water as I understand it. Yeah. It's, it's not my area of expertise. I know enough just to be able to bring that into the fold, but it's, it's not where I consult in. Mm, yeah. Um, okay, great. So in terms of uh, roof and guttering, what are some of the things that we can do there to plan for mold prevention? Because there's flat roof versus pointy roof. Um, then there's pointy roofs that like have a flat bit next to them. Uh, then there's all sorts of different types of guttering. What are your favorites? Um, if you can do simple, do simple. Um, this is what I learned um, a lot in the course and from other building science experts. And you'll see this a lot with passive house design too, because it's also a money saving issue. So if you can save money and simplify your, you know, any, you know, potential problems, that's great because you're going to need that money for detailing and, you know, supervision and high quality work. Um, so simple, you know, it should, it should, um, and that has to be considered right from the start because if you start with your floor plan and your four your four floor plans all this super jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. you know then your roof's your roof's going to be a mess yeah so yeah. you got to start from the top almost and go down mm-hmm. and what's your favorite type of roof it's just a basic gable mm-hmm. it could be a hip but it, it's really basic it's a it should look like a kid's drawing of a house. A kid's drawing of a house, exactly. <laughs> look, at, look at some of the passive house designs because they're often designed really yeah, well. Yeah, I love does, passive by, house. Yeah, and it, with mm. passive house, it doesn't mean that you have to go extreme with the amount of insulation because that's all, often what they're known for being passive houses and passive um, energy use. But they also have a lot of other really good design elements that don't have to do with insulation. Um, you could really look at those designs and just take – Take, steal some ideas from those floor plans, those roof lines. They're very simple. They're very economical in terms of, um, you know, saving money. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, and 
In terms of guttering, I'm sorry for asking all these really technical questions, but I just know what my audience is then going to say. Yeah. So can you ask her in? I'm just like, I'm just going to ask it now and that way we're done. (laughs) Uh, Do we want those kind of like hollow gutters where you have to sweep out the leaves if there are any trees that are higher up? Um, is, Is there a type of gutter that works best to make sure that water is able to drain away from the house super easily when it rains? Most houses um, would need gutters, but there are some designers that um, wouldn't use them. Um, so you should, you know, every detail should be, you know, you should go over with the architect. But one area where people usually mess it up is that the gutters are either uh, dumping the water right next to the house, which mm-hmm. is... Um, fairly not just pointless but also bringing water into the foundation where it can wick into it um or there are those underground ones i don't know if you have those there but this is very typical here for them you don't want to see this water uh so they put them underground but then you know how long is that really going to last before that gets plugged or isn't Mm. draining well or isn't draining far you know well far enough because drainage you start- in, near the foundation is a huge yeah, consideration as well, learned. right? Yeah. That's what I really... And there's so many parts to that in that you want your land sloping away from the house. You don't want to be watering your plants right next to it. You don't want your sprinklers hitting the house. This is often done wrong. Like when I did my little walk around and I did that, and there's a video on my YouTube called Million Dollar Moldy House. All those houses in that area... Um, you can almost guarantee to find one of these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, this is not just North America. <laughs> That's a really, really common problem oh, to yeah. have water moving towards the foundation. And, and so is that like when you have um, flower beds and things like literally on the wall of a house? Yeah. Anything that you would have to water, you know, it, it could get a little nuanced. Like when I, I did, um, you know, ask some experts about it and like, if there was like a little, you know, the lines that do just a very subtle drip maybe that could work but anything that actually needs a you know sprinkler or a hose or a lot of water um yeah I I wouldn't even risk it to me I always you know take a little bit of extra caution um as someone who's really mold sensitive we don't have many people designing for people that are very mold sensitive or extremely mold sensitive so we have to say okay if someone thinks ah sure that's good enough maybe move the plants a little further away um so would you ideally then suggest people have paving around the outside of their house so there's no vegetation on any walls well the paving if it's poured in um and this was a lot in the in the building a healthy home course um if it's done right away it may not settle well and it you know the land's going to settle after the house is built so you want you'd want that to be sloped away personally in my view of going quite um extreme with mold avoidance i wouldn't really want um you know a sidewalk or patio concrete right against the building because it may not be draining well right okay so what what do we want just just dirt that's okay graded graded away Dirt that's graded away. Well, right. you know, you could put grass, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just not a big flower bed that needs to be yeah, hosed yeah. or, um, and ideally no patio. Okay. Right. These are different. I'm, I'm just thinking of all the houses I know and visit regularly. I'm like, mm, okay. 
I actually don't think I know a house like that. (laughs) Yeah, no, the patio is not necessarily a deal breaker, but you should look at the slope. Like you have to get, you know, there's in some of those videos, like I'm, I had to get on the ground. Mm. You're like, is this sloped away? And then sometimes the sidewalk will start if there's a sidewalk next to the house or pathway, it'll start to um, dip the the land. You know, the the earth compacts and it'll start to dip towards Mm -hmm. the house. So that's that's and then now you have a big job. Exactly. Then it becomes an expensive repair, right? Yeah. 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 So a lot of this I find when we start talking about it is not just about mold avoidance or, you know, chemical avoidance or whatever you want to call what we're talking about, but also about expensive repair avoidance. Yeah. I, and I think that's the other part where, um, Oh my gosh. It's so important. It, it's so, you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not the type of person that does sales pitchy type of things, but designing, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm not the architect, I'm not the designer either, but have bringing in someone for the design and the materials, it is going to save you money in the end and spending this money on the course and spending the time, maybe not rushing, uh, you spoke about in another podcast, not rushing into the build because, um, or one of your guests did because, because then that's when you may not take the time to make sure the details are right. And it is going to cost more later. Um, it, yeah. I mean, any leak, any renovation, any um, redoing, I mean, there's, there's things you can't even really redo properly. Like the foundation, you may not be able to ever dig back under that. Um, the roof could be a huge job. You know, there's so many things that, and the cost of your stress and the health, I mean, it's your health and the stress is just, yeah, it's, it's hard to not oversell that point of, um, I mean, it would be hard to oversell that point of how important it is to plan it from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so in terms of, I'm pretty passionate about this, because as someone who has just been inspecting property after property, considering whether or not to move into it, um, maintenance is a shocker. And it seems to me that maybe it's because of the laws in my country, uh, but it seems to me that the repairs or the work that um, people do on their investment properties where other people live and essentially pay off those mortgages um, is freshly painted, newly carpeted. And it's like, this gets done every few years and that seems to be an accepted cost, but it's kind of like, it feels like carpet getting scuzzy and paint and walls bubbling up is like the equivalent of a headache and freshly painted, newly carpeted is like the equivalent of Tylenol when actually you need to figure out why, what is causing the recurrent headaches in the first place. Um, And maybe you wouldn't actually need to replace your flooring or your paint so often if you could get to the bottom of why it was happening in the first place. And so um, what are some of the reasons that our, um, like the structural and plumbing reasons that someone might need to paint their investment property every three years. Obviously moisture is a huge component of that. Where is it coming apart? What kind of more deep repairs could a property owner do to actually avoid the bubbling? Like I was devastated for this person who had obviously spent 
at least half a million bucks on the most stunning apartment renovation you've ever seen. I could picture, I was dreaming of myself in the kitchen. I was so happy. And then I saw this bubbling paint and it had finished one month ago, this renovation. And I was, I was sad for me because I wasn't going to get to live there, but I was sad for them because that is, that's devastating that no one in their team had picked up on a structural issue that needed sorting out versus let's just try cover it up and hopefully, you know, it looks better for a while. Yeah, unfortunately, highly renovated places I usually find are the worst of both worlds because you've got the new off-gassing and it's not the same level as if the entire house was new, but you've got the new off-gassing and you've got the old problems probably covered up. Unfortunately, I don't find that most buildings, if they're made to be rented, mm-hmm. um, they're just not going to be doing it it well if they're doing a bathroom renovation especially um or any of those areas that this your um the paint bubbling this sounds like something more common are you in a humid part of yeah it does get humid yeah we're on the east coast yeah yeah Yeah, it's it's not as typical to see that here um but yeah i am suspicious of of renovations and unfortunately my last apartment um It had a roof leak Mm -hmm. and I say that it was actually a minor roof leak, which is saying a lot for me because I don't consider, you know, mold to be a minor problem. There wasn't any mold. I opened up, I got to see inside the wall, but it was still leaking and that's not going to go well over the Mm. long run. It doesn't matter if there was no mold at the time that I saw it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I just literally moved out of a place three months ago for that exact same reason. I mean, one of the other reasons was it was COVID and it made sense to go live with mom and dad in the country Mm -hmm. uh, until school went back. But there had been a couple of little teeny tiny drops. And even though I'd been well there, especially compared to the previous place, um, I just knew that this was going to be, you know, the roofer told us there were at least 50 crack tiles that have been patched up up there. So that just meant very soon it really should all just be replaced and in a building where I knew it was majority um, renters, that just wasn't going to be something everyone would be super excited to spend $30,000 replacing the roof of the building. Yeah, it can get really discouraging. Um, You know, I brought it to the attention of obviously the owner, uh, I was renting the apartment, the owner of the apartment, and they, she brought it to the attention of the building. What the, one of the head carpenters came by, um, he went to the roof, he took pictures, and he said, and we looked in the wall to see if, because um, we often have water lines running for the fire extinguishers, that was, that was there in that wall, but it wasn't leaking. We did our, you know, we, we looked around, we, we did as much as we could, um, and he just said, yeah, I don't see the problem. Like, I don't see where, where it's coming from. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's, uh, you know, they, like they gave up immediately. And I knew that I could hire, and you can if it's somewhere that you're very attached to and it's your, maybe it's a rental, but maybe you've put a lot of love into it and decorated it and you really want to stay. You, you can, you should hire um, a consultant to, to take a look at it and hopefully the building will be open to, um, to what that person suggested they may not be still and so i didn't because i, I didn't want to um i didn't have the energy to fight them yeah I that's that's what it comes down to when you're sick from the environmental issues uh i remember once 
the owner came uh, in three places ago, my first moldy place. And this was the kind of place that was really bad. Like all your shoes go moldy. It was that kind of, um, uh, that kind of situation. And I <laughs> used to get a slug coming up in the, in the bathroom drain and like a little bit of water in the tile ground. <laughs> it was just terrible, brand new building, but like so quickly all this stuff was falling apart. Um, and, uh, and he abused me in front of my two-year-old saying that I was, uh, ungrateful for such a beautiful place to live and that obviously I didn't have the cleaning skills appropriate for, um, for the home. So I was like, oh my, and what do you do with that? If you fight that and you get to stay and they have to repair it, then you know who you're giving your cash to. <laughs> I just didn't want any part of it. Um, and, and just, we just moved. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. Yes. They will, they will deny the problem until it's often, I mean, I, so many people come to me with this problem until it's a huge problem and that's Mm. not, you don't want to be in a place that has a long standing water damage problem. It's so expensive. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, massive, massive repairs when it went, but I mean, it's the equivalent of, you know, we, we sort of wait and wait and wait until there's a heart attack or a stroke or cancer before we change something in our own health. It feels like, uh, our buildings and property maintenance are suffering the same fate. We wait until some sort of apocalyptic event before we actually realize something needs to change. And my hope is that um, all of us can work together to uh, create healthier buildings for people, not just for people renting, but for the people who own and invest as well. Um, this is not a poor me renters, all the owners are assholes, not at all. The issue is that people don't understand the impact of water damage on people's health or on their investment in the long term. Mm. Yeah, so. Um, I think I would love to ask you a couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, Building materials is something you're extremely passionate about. What are three of your favourite building materials and why? Hmm. Let me see if I can find some unusual ones. I got very into testing natural oils. So this started with my hemp oil on the floor, on my wood floors, um, and it turned out to, you know, as I said, it was a risk, but it worked. It worked. It, it, it turned out to be true that hemp oil is what they call a drying oil. And I really have liked some of the other options there. If you don't want to use hemp, there's uh, linseed options and tongue oil. They work really well. If you're not sensitive to those natural odors, um, Rubio Monocote is a very interesting one. Um, I really like the natural oils. There's even one... Uh, it's a walnut oil mixed with beeswax. And this one actually works really well on natural stone. And this is going to be an upcoming post that I've put so much time into, but I haven't published yet because I'm still um, compiling my argument, uh, compiling the evidence for my argument, because I hear this a lot. I don't know if people, if you hear this too, but a lot of people are trying to, you know, sell you on the quartz 
and there's nothing wrong with quartz. Quartz is a great zero VOC material, but it doesn't have that natural look and feel. And I really like natural stone countertops. Um, if you can afford it, you know, they're just, they're really beautiful. Um, and everyone says, you know, you, there's no natural sealer. Well, I do find that the walnut beeswax oil, beeswax oil, and I'm not the one that invented that, this idea that it works, but it's not well known that it works. So I've been testing this on many different stones in order to kind of prove this theory that it is working, it is durable, and um, which kind of colors of stone does it work best on. So I think this will hopefully stop this um, idea that you can you only have to go with human-made um, countertops like quartz or some of the plastic composites. So um, I really, I'm really very much into the, uh, the walnut oil mm, and the nice. other oil finishes. Um, so if we and so this... when you're talking about hemp, linseed and tongue oil, is mm -hmm. this to finish um, hardwood floors uh, versus using um, lacquers and varnishes and things? Yeah, this would be the alternative to a clear coat. Polyurethane is is the most common uh, clear coat, and there are zero v zero VOC, or they they say there's zero zero VOC or close to it. There are you know very low VOC alternatives too. If you want to go with the clear coat, if you want something really durable, if you want something really shiny, we can do that too. That it's possible, and there are so many more options to choose from than there were eight years ago when yeah, I was right. <laughs> yeah. just fumbling through these options. So that's, it doesn't mean you have to use an oil other and everything else is bad, but um, I, it is, I do think these oils are rather, rather um, interesting and they're not, um, I think they have less marketing behind them, less marketing money behind them. So it's kind of lesser known and, and very interesting um, options. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Some other favorite building materials. Um, I'm trying to think of something that might be a little bit unusual. Um, What's your favorite wood for a floor? Any hardwood, um, solid hardwood. Is so you good. wouldn't go with a bamboo? No. Least, mm -hmm. okay, let's talk about least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yep. Since you brought up bamboo. <laughs> Bamboo is, um, it does really horribly with spills. It does really hor horribly with any moisture. It does really horribly with high humidity. It does really badly with low humidity. It's just a mess. Um, and my, in my climate, we actually get extremely low, well, extremely low for, for humans, um, indoor humidity in the winter. Mm. So down to maybe 12%. Oh my which gosh. Was, that is super I don't mind dry. It. I don't mind it at all. Yeah. But my floors, if you I'm have moving real to wood, Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. That's like, sounds like a dream. If you have real wood floors, that's actually really not ideal. Um, that's, you could even void the warranty on something, but um, so you, <laughs> you may want to look at, and if you're in a tropical environment, um, I know you do have some hot, humid areas of Australia and there are of course many other parts of the world. You may want to look at um, you know, your floor, often people will say, well, why would I do a real, uh, you know, real solid wood floor? Because wood is prone to mold. There really shouldn't be enough moisture in your floor to go moldy. That's not a normal. And I guess if people are thinking of maybe if something floods, but um, in that case, I mean, you'd really have to do kind of all tile or all vinyl and, and vinyl is definitely another non-favorite. So the bamboo you know, there's a huge, you know, vinyl's becoming so popular and it's not that bad. The vinyl click, it's, it's a harder vinyl. It has a lot less off, off than the sheet vinyls. 
but it's not, we could do better than this. You know, it, it's not like I'm shaming someone for choosing vinyl. You know, that's okay. You can use vinyl plank. It's not that bad, but there are better options. If you, even if you want something inexpensive and the click together, easy install click together, there, there still are better options. There really are. Um, so vinyl, bamboo, and cork are, are at my, on my non-favorites list. Um, cork, you know, it, it come, it's obviously um, small granules that are pressed and glued together. There's, a, there's quite a lot of glue in there. It's nice that it comes from a sustainable tree. That's a nice part. I like that. But if we're talking about people who are very sensitive or very, their health is very impacted by off-gassing, there's a lot of polyurethane glue in there. I, to, me that, to me, that's quote-unquote strong. For, you know, for a healthy person, that's maybe mild. But for me, that's... Yeah, it's kind of like the... Um you see all these kids crockery in bamboo. I'm like, well, how do you think the bamboo gets pressed into the shape of a cup or a fork or a spoon? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -mm. <laughs> not yeah. going to be going there. Yeah. It's the same as any other pressed wood. And, you know, formaldehyde got such a bad name and I'm not saying it formaldehyde is great, but it got such a bad name that we hyper-focused in on formaldehyde mm -hmm. and we, and we've replaced formaldehyde in many cases, in some cases with polyurethane glues, like in some of the plywoods um, and with other types of glues. Um, so there's lots, there's most floors are now zero or almost zero formaldehyde. Yeah. Um, but it's just like the food industry, right? You see, um, or the personal care industry, you see paraben free on the front and you think, Oh, great. And that's the endocrine disruptor you know about because there's been some uh, literature on it. But never mind the fact that it has a whole bunch of other dodgy stuff in the ingredient list. Uh, it's, it sounds like the same thing is happening in the building industry. You know formaldehyde's one of the bad guys. So you seek out formaldehyde-free uh, and then, but we're still not seeking out the truth, which is what is this made of? How is it bound or sealed? or glued, uh, and, um, and am I okay with that as the alternative? And it actually went so far that, so most products, you know, because there's stringent uh, regulations on formaldehyde now pretty much everywhere in the world, so it doesn't really matter where in the world you are, plywood and things like that have quite strict, and it's phenyl formaldehyde, so it's the one that off-gasses less, it's not urea formaldehyde, which off-gasses more for a very long time, so we've actually gone so far that the that products like plywood with phenyl formaldehyde are will off gas within a completely off gas within a few months usually under normal conditions um and that's better in my opinion than an an a um either another glue that off gases for longer or an ingredient that we don't and i'm, I'm not necessarily only talking about plywood but you know the formal the phenyl formaldehyde in many products has been replaced by something that we don't even know what it is, like an insulation. All the insulations are saying formaldehyde free. They often have a bio binder. We don't know exactly even know what that is. And the bio binder has a biocide in it. And we don't exactly know what the biocide is. Instead of going with an insulation like Rockwell, which has a tiny bit of formaldehyde that's going to completely cure, they say it cures by the time it gets to you. I would say give it a few weeks or maybe even a month or a few months. At the very most, it's going to be completely cured so we we went to we we went too far with formaldehyde mm, interesting 
and yeah, the biocide, it's like putting triclosan in paints and, um, and kind of everywhere, basically it could be that it's in, uh, it is that particular biocide. And then you end up with thyroid problems from breathing in the off gassing of products like that. And, uh, that's not what we need. And there's a huge lack of transparency. Once we, once we got into these alternative glues, mm-hmm. I, I dig into, of course, I dig into the same safety data sheets that everyone else does and contact the company and I order samples and I compare them to something that I know has that. So if yeah. I have an object that I know has formaldehyde or I know has polyurethane and I'll compare the odors, but I'll also look through the patents. Mm. And that's where I really dig in to what they're doing and it's it's still not 100% transparent necessarily because I cannot always say for sure that they followed that patent or you know that that's the exact patent that um you know that product is using but that's where I can sometimes dig into okay there's a biocide in this that isn't disclosed and there's a even though this is you know saying it's a soy product you can make acrylic or polyurethane with soy yeah exactly and that and the polyurethane from soy does off-gas. So. Yeah, and you see so much greenwashing, like plant-based biocide. <laughs> it's supposed to feel good about the fact that it's plant-based because that's a buzzword right now that makes us feel like we're a good person doing the smart thing. But it's you, know, more confusing. you can make SLES way- from coconuts, for, go- mm-hmm. for goodness sakes. So, yeah. In a way, it's gotten more confusing. In a way, it's better because there are so many more products that are low on off-gassing, there are better certifications, there are better regulations. Everything is improved, but in a way it's very confusing because almost any product has some kind of green label, uh, green mm. either official label or unofficial label. They made up the label. That yeah. <laughs> they made up a term. They made up a little something that sounds nice. Uh, like you said, bio-based, natural. Um, it doesn't, you know, and they'll list the things that it doesn't have. Um, very, it's, it could be very confusing. And this is what I spend all day digging, <laughs> digging into. Yeah. And well, sure we I- are very grateful that you spend that time digging into it because it makes it easier for us. And I think anywhere that anyone listening is living, just look up and see whether there's a building biologist or building scientist near you that might be able to sit in on a meeting, have a coffee, help you sort of start navigating your project or talking about some of the issues your current house is having that you want to fix for the long term because you love it there. It could not be more important to start raising awareness, awareness on the importance of having someone who is uh, it's basically like the naturopath of buildings, like who understands the holistic functioning of a home from the materials to the airflow and and how to help be in your corner, I guess, to make sure that all the work that all the tradespeople and the architect and the designers and the builders are going to be doing for you is going to actually pay off in the long run and not not completely fall apart after the seven-year warranty is done. Yeah. It is, it is consumer driven as much as that's a lot of work for us, all the changes that have happened, all the changes that need to happen with quality, with further transparency, with continuing to reduce off gassing, it's been consumer driven and it, it needs to continue to be that way. Well, I mean, not that it needs to, it it unfortunately is. Um, So we have to put that work in we have to be willing to pay for a higher quality building. And that comes from, the builders and the architect and the, the uh, all, you know, the laborers and the, 
and the company themselves. So, um, and then, you know, with products, we can continue to push the companies individually as we many of us have been doing by emailing them and demand, demanding no phthalates and things like that. And, and, you know, if anybody is organizing on a, on a more uh, regulation level, of course, that's, that's needed as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Corinne. This has been uh, an enlightening and exciting chat uh, after following your work online for a while. I think what you do is so helpful to people and I know your clients love you. People on your Facebook page find the work you do so, so useful um, because really we want to start talking about our buildings and our homes the way we've started talking about our health, which is in the preventative context, in the holistic context. Uh, if we start thinking more holistically about our homes, um, then that can only bode well for both our health and the investments we make in life financially. So I want to say thank you once again for joining me. And I dare say this will not be the last time we have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Lotox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.